Hello and welcome to another week of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. And this week on the show, in addition to taking you all up and down the ladder from AAA Buffalo to advanced rookie Bluefield, we have a number of notable, uh, let's call them star attractions, special guests. And the reason for that is because the Blue Jays have made some deals this week. For example, Sung Wan Oh, the reliever, swapped out to the Colorado Rockies, and the Blue Jays picked up an exchange, a first baseman, a slugger named Chad Spanberger, and a speedy outfielder named Forrest Wall. Let's start with Spanberger, and to find out more, let's speak with his former broadcaster, Doug Maurer of the Asheville Tourist. Doug, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jesse. What was your first impression of Chad? Um, you know... I think when you uh when you talk about Chad the the first thing that that needs to be said about him is uh the the high character um the, the type of of man that he is uh he he is a hard worker um he is somewhat soft spoken uh and you'll probably have an opportunity to experience that uh, a little bit more than the fans um, when you interact with him uh, but he's a great teammate uh, a really good clubhouse guy a bit more of a, a leader by example uh, than than a vocal vocal leader in the clubhouse. Uh, as far as his tools go, um, if you you sit back and watch him take batting practice, you will know exactly um, why why the Blue Jays targeted Chad. Uh, he can hit the ball uh, further than anyone in the South Atlantic League, and, and probably further than anyone in the Midwest League. Um, yeah, he won the home run derby at the All Star Game uh, this year. I think he hit 29 home runs. He still had another two minutes on the clock and, and called it quits after after he had the crown. Um, so power is, without a doubt, his number one tool. He's a left-handed hitting first baseman. Defensively, um, he's good. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a, an excellent first baseman, but he certainly works hard at it. And, um, you know, in addition to, to the power, um, Chad hits for average as well. He, he hit 315 with us here in Asheville and, you know, a lot of people talk about McCormick Field as a hitter-friendly ballpark, especially for lefties. And Chad certainly took advantage of that, uh, but but he also produced on the road, um, which is what I look at a lot uh, for for our tours players. One thing that you will see with Chad, and and we saw this a lot in the South Atlantic League, is teams do shift him, um, and and it's a pretty dramatic shift. He's a lefty pull hitter. Uh, you'll see three infielders on the right side. And most times, uh, opposing teams will put their second baseman about 20 or 30 feet into right field. Um, so it's a, a pretty dramatic shift. And that being said, he can hit the ball to left center as well. Uh, and and he, can, he can hit for power uh, to left center field. He has no problem going the other way. Doesn't typically hit the ball on the ground to the left side. Uh, but, but he still hits 315 against a shift. I would say half the teams we play this year did shift Chad. Uh, and, and he still finds ways to hit the ball hard and, and reach base. And, and he can run as well. He had 16 stolen bases. Um, he's not your, your first baseman who can't move by any means. Uh, 6'3", about 225, 230 pounds. Very strong individual and uh, just a, an overall um, you know, great person to have in your organization. I, I think the Blue Jays uh, certainly scouted well when, when they targeted Chad in, in this trade. What was the reaction among the Asheville clubhouse? When you guys found out that he had been dealt, they're sad. Um, it, it was definitely um, um, yesterday was a tough day uh, for a lot of our players. Chad has has been our leader this year. Uh, again, more more so leading by example, but 
Um, they were sad, and, and I think the result of yesterday's game had had a lot to do with that. We we got beat 11 to nothing uh, at home. Uh, guys just you know weren't necessarily um, you know had their their minds 100% on the game, and you know it's it's part of the business. Uh, we we had to deal with this last year in Asheville. We had three All Stars traded to the Phillies, um, and and with the Rockies being in contention, uh, we we know this is something that 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 can happen and. Now it's happened two two years in a row where where we've lost um, you know all star caliber players uh, for um, you know an opportunity for the big league club um, to be able to, to compete and, and hopefully make a postseason run. So you know we we understand that and and we are obviously big big Rocky supporters, big Rockies fans. We want to see the big league team do as well as possible. Uh, but as far as his teammates go, you know it's it's sort of eye opening in, in the fact that hey you know this is business and. Um, this is part of it, and um, you know, as as a player, your ultimate goal is is to make it to the major leagues. And, and I told Chad before he left, I said, "Hey, you know, there, there's a reason that, that these guys went and got you. Um, they they like you, they want you, and and don't let that, um, you know, the fact that uh, hey, maybe the Rockies don't want me anymore creep into your mind. It's hey, this team really wants me, and and I think." If Chad can keep that mentality, and I'm sure he will. He is a professional in every sense of the word, uh, and and very talented. Um, he'll he'll have a great opportunity to to move up the ranks. Was there a home run that he hit that stood out in your mind from this year? You know, he he's hit a bunch of them. It's it's hard to really pinpoint one. I would say there was one uh, on the road in in Lexington a couple weeks ago that that stands out to me. Not necessarily because of the distance. But because of the timing uh, of the home run, we trailed the entire game. And, you know, Chad came up. Um, actually, I, th- I think this was in Greensboro, um, the, our, our last road trip. And we were down. We had lost three or four in a row and, and hadn't led uh, at one point in that stretch. And Chad comes up in, in the top of the eighth inning, uh, two outs, two runners aboard. We're down two. And he absolutely demolishes one. And he hit it to left center field, which which I always like to see, you know, these um, left-handed hitters sometimes do have a tendency, especially power hitters, to to hit him out to right, and, and Chad can hit him a very long way to right field. But but he went to left center. Um, he cleared the wall in, in Greensboro, gave us a, a one-run lead, which we hung on to, won the ball game, and um, you know we ended up uh, taking three out of four in that series. It was a big turning point for us here in the second half. Uh, Chad also had back-to-back games this year in Greenville, which is somewhat like a mini Fenway Park, uh, and. Uh, he he hit he hit multiple home runs in back to back games on the road and everyone in the Greenville press box is looking at me saying where in the world did this guy come from I said well you know it's just, it's what he can do um, you know you, you don't want him to do it pitch around him and, and he, he has a good enough eye to where he can he can work into some hitter friendly counts and uh, you definitely do not want to groove him a fastball when he's expecting it because uh, he'll hit it a very long way. Doug Maurer, the voice of the Asheville Tourists, about Chad Spanberger, just picked up by the Toronto Blue Jays. This has been great to hear. Thank you very much for giving of your time. You bet, Jesse. Thanks for having me. All right. And from Doug, let's go uh, to a different location. And again, another guest star. Let me bring in Adam Marco of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders to talk about Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney, whom the Blue Jays picked up for Jay Hat. Adam, how are you? Doing quite well. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Let's start with Brandon Drury. Who are the Blue Jays getting? Brandon Drury 
was a triple-A all-star, and he was with the Yankees at the outset of the season, acquired in a trade from the Diamondbacks in February, had been dealing with migraines over the course of his career, and blurred vision ultimately didn't really seem to tell anybody about it until he got to the Yankees system. They put him on the DL. He rehabbed with the Rail Riders. He spent a little time in Trenton on rehab, back to us, was optioned out and turned that into an all-star season at the AAA level. At the big league side, he hasn't really found a spot. When he went on the disabled list, that forced the Yankees to bring up Miguel Andujar. Been lights out as a rookie. You know, consider Glaber Torres and Andujar, a couple of first-year guys on the major league scene. So Drury lost his spot. They were trying to, at first, at second. Everybody in New York wanted the Yankees to designate Neil Walker for assignment. They didn't go that route. Drury is a quiet guy, which is kind of unusual for a New York market. And I think he will do very well up in Toronto. It's been fun to read the split because there's the Blue Jays fans and Blue Jays pundits who are saying, we could have done better for Jay Happ. And then I see all the New York pundits who are saying, no, you did very well. And the Yankees did not want to give him up. I think the Yankees personally overpaid for Happ. I think Drury for Happ would have been a, reasonable swap because Brandon is controllable and could be a starting third baseman every day in the majors tomorrow. I don't know if he solves the shortstop problem in Toronto, but he can help out on that infield in a couple different spots. He's played the outfield before. We've had him at first base a few times. He is a 275, 20, 25 home run guy if they can get him healthy and get him right. And I think he can be a star if given that opportunity. You know, he didn't have that chance with Arizona. He didn't have that opportunity with the Yankees. The kicker to me was Billy McKinney in that deal. I loved Billy McKinney. You know, maybe the batting average isn't there, 220, 230s, but he's a power left-hand bat. And I think that plays in a lot of ballparks in the American League. So I think McKinney was the part where the Yankees might have overpaid a bit. And that's, you know, I'm a Pirates fan. So, yeah, I work for the Rail Riders. I cheer for the Rail Riders. I don't mind seeing the Yankees do well, but I've seen Jay Happ before. So, I, I honestly, I think McKinney is the part of the deal that this year people are going to see Brandon Drury. Down the line, Billy McKinney is the one that could pay a lot of dividends across that outfield for the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's segue. Why? Tell me about Billy McKinney. McKinney – well, first of all, I find it fascinating that he was traded to the team in the ballpark that he got hurt in at the beginning of the year. He made his major league debut in Toronto, day two, ran into a wall, and missed the next month and a half of the season. McKinney is, you know, he's been traded more times than he's played major league games. Started with Oakland, then over to the Cubs, then on to the Yankees, and now on to the Blue Jays organization. So I just love his personality. He's a guy that doesn't necessarily lead, which you need a lot of those. I get that. But he finds the right people to follow. You know, any number of guys that can be disillusioned going up and down and traded as many times as he's been, but he has such a positive outlook on getting that big league chance and getting back up to the majors. I think if he latches on to the right guy, I, I think you'll have a very good hitter, Again, maybe not it's a 300 hitter that you're going to get for Hap, but I do believe that Billy McKinney is a 260, could be, you know, again, a 25, maybe 30 home run guy when given that opportunity. 
Adam Marco, voice of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Good to have you on. Good to hear your insights about Drury and McKinney. It is my pleasure. My pleasure to talk to you. To follow Doug Maurer, it's, uh, it's been a good day so far, and I hope you guys do well the rest of the way. Beautiful. And from Adam and Scranton Wilkes-Barre, let me go to Hartford, Connecticut, where we've got a twofer for you. Bob Lipman is on the line, but as well, Jeff Dooley, the voice of the Hartford Yard Goats, because we need to talk about Forest Wall. Jeff, are you there? I am. How are you? Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm very well, and I'm glad that you and Bob can share a company. Let's talk. Who is Forest Wall? Who are the Blue Jays getting? Uh, you got a pretty good athlete who had a very nice debut in the Blue Jays organization. He's a, a speedy outfielder that came with some pretty good hype, a, a former first-round pick that went through that trend, transition. Is a, as you know, a, a pretty good transition going from high A to double A. A lot of players tell me it's the toughest in all of baseball, obviously, till they get to the big leagues. And he did have that couple-of-week uh, stint in Hartford where he really struggled uh, with uh, going from California League pitching to Eastern League pitching. But he, once he settled down a little bit, uh, he was always good defensively. He was able to pop the ball over the fence. And, and what a debut with, uh, with the Blue Jays organization. He comes up, and uh, first he actually makes two really nice catches, one a defensive, uh, uh, really a shining defensive play in the outfield to take – Extra bases, uh, extra bases away from a yard goat, and then he comes up with a second and bat, and it's a home run off the the Rockies prospect Jesus Tinoco, and uh, so uh, that, that Fisher Cats dugout was pretty excited, but but I really believe the Blue Jays got a pretty good one in, in Forest Wall. What was the reaction around Hartford, and especially with the visiting team being there? The fact that all he had to do was just walk across to the other clubhouse. Yeah, and his mom flew up actually from Florida that morning, and uh, when she arrived, she found out that uh, she was sitting in the visiting section as opposed to the yard goat players <laughs> section. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was kind of a whirlwind day for him. The, the Rockies had talked to him about, uh, you know, his, his services and that he was being moved in a deal. And, you know, the, the, the cool thing for the, him is that he got traded for a major league pitcher um, at the end of the day, and, you know, he could have been uh, – moved and and you just you never really know obviously what's going to happen so he was uh he came in last uh the night before last from trenton with his team and then he comes to the ballpark and he basically instead of taking a left to the clubhouse he takes a right so it was uh really a a, kind of a cool day for him and i'm sure it was a he could exile once he hit that home run over the fence I think that's wonderful. And before I let you go, and before we talk to Bob, let me ask you about a couple of former Blue Jay farmhands. And you mentioned one of them. How are Sean Nolan and Jesus Tinoco looking for the yard goats? Uh, real good. Yeah, you know, Sean, is, um, he, he's been moved to mostly the, uh, the relief role with the yard goats. So I know he, when he was in New Hampshire before, he was a starting pitcher. So he's pitched some games, and obviously coming back from an injury, he's, he's still trying to get it adapted. But um, he's had some games that uh, he's looked pretty good and other games that, you know, he hasn't. Um, and, and Tinoco, I think, is, is certainly one of the bigger pitching prospects in the, in the Rockies organization, a very good fastball. Um, he, too, has gone through that tough adjustment going from, from high A to double A. But I think that uh, he's young enough and hopefully, you know, the, 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 a chance to finish the, the year with the Yard Goats that he'll put up, you know, pretty good numbers in the final month and a half of the season. Well, Jeff, good to get your insights. Jeff Dooley, voice of the Hartford Yard Goats. And now you can pass that phone along and we can speak with Bob Lipman about New Hampshire. Thank you, well, Jeff. I'm here. <laughs> Thanks, I'm here, Jesse. too. <laughs> we're, we're Hello, all together. Bob. Thanks, Bob. 
Duels. Duels has been a very hospitable this year. We've come in here, Jesse, to Dunkin' Donuts Park, and we've played eight games, and we've won them all. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's just pleased as punch about that with your Fisher Cats. And, Bob, it's good to hear your voice this year. Let's talk about New Hampshire. And first, let me ask you about Vladdy Jr. Okay, so he goes down. The reports are he's going to come back, but he's going to go right to AAA. How was your reaction when you found out he's coming right back to your Fisher Cats? Oh, I jumped up and down. I was thrilled. Uh, boy, you you cannot underestimate the importance of having that bat in our lineup, uh, what he does uh, in the clubhouse, keeping everybody loose. And uh, Fisher Cats uh, are playing back, you know, where you expect them to be. We're in first place and hopefully can get that all the way to the finish line. Looks like there's going to be a playoff berth. But for now, Vlad just kind of working on timing a little bit. Uh, he's going to... Uh, Probably head out after our game tonight to Cooperstown to be with Dad for the induction ceremony at the Hall of Fame over the weekend uh, on Sunday. Of course, big day for Vladimir Guerrero. And uh, then um, what the future is, I'm not sure. Gil Kim is here today, but he didn't really let on uh, any plan beyond this weekend. With Vladdy, he comes back. He immediately starts hitting again. immediately starts homering again. Has he looked to you like anything is different from before he went down? Nope. And, again, I, I went to manager John Schneider because he's obviously the, the, the pro and, and the guy who, who can tell you. And there were, he said there were a couple of bats when Vlad first came back that he just missed. And timing-wise, now he has a couple of home runs here on the road trip, one on Monday in Reading. One here last night, which, uh, thank goodness, the umpires got together because they initially had said it was a foul ball and a ball that was clearly fair. And so Vlad went all the way around for his 13th of the season. And uh, defensively, he has made a half dozen terrific plays at third base. Um, charged one on Omar Carrizales, made a ridiculous throw across his body to beat a speedy outfielder uh, by a stride last night. And uh, All's good in the, in Guerrero world, I can tell you that. With regard to your pitching staff, what I'm seeing is, especially with half dealt, that a lot more attention has been turned to the Jays' pitching prospects. So Sean Reed Foley in AAA and Thomas Pannone. And with you, people are looking at Jordan Romano and John Harris. And uh, Before getting into them, I asked Jeff Ware, the pitching coordinator who's been here with the Lansing Lugnuts. I said they both went through rough patches. What changed? And Jeff said little mechanical things that he just tilted both their hands, that their hands were lowered, and that has made all the difference. What have you seen for both Jordan and John Harris? Uh, terrific. And, uh, yeah, I can verify, uh, because pitching coach uh, here for the Fisher Cats, Vince Horseman, had kind of led on to us as well the same little things. I think with John Harris, it was hiding the ball a split second longer, and with Jordan Romano, it was just whole, maybe maybe dropping down a, a little bit lower. I mean, really, really what seems to us to be minor stuff, and they both have, have bounced back really well. Harris had a rough inning against Harrisburg the other night, last night. He was wild to start the game like I have not seen. He threw almost 50 pitches to get through the first two innings, then breezed through the rest of his start and ended up with a win. Romano's outing on Saturday earned him an Eastern League Pitcher of the Week award. He went eight scoreless with eight strikeouts. It was the best start we've had by a New Hampshire pitcher all year. So they're both going really well. And, you know, when you bring up the names of, of guys coming, 
you can't leave out T.J. Zoik because he has accomplished everything you would expect a, a double-A pitcher uh, to accomplish. He's getting deep into ball games. He's ahead of hitters and uh, seems to be very much in control of his craft. So there are at least three here right now in New Hampshire who I think are can all contribute at the major league level down the road. It's been interesting to hear the observations of both Tyler Murray and Tyler Zickel about Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette. Let's start with Bo. How have you seen Bo adjust to the double-A level? He's more patient now. Uh, I think you've heard early on about it, the frequency that he would swing, particularly on first pitches. Pitchers here at the double-A level started to throw him pitches that he was never going to hit, and he was still swinging at it. Now we're seeing a little bit more patience uh, out of Bo. Uh, man, he had a game on Wednesday where he went 0 for 5, and he really could have been 5 for 5, nearly hit two home runs, scorched two line drives that were snagged, and a ground ball, uh, not hard hit, but they threw him out. And he bounced back last night with a, uh, with, uh, a couple of uh, tough outs as well. So, you know, one of those who's, who's learning to fight through when things are not going your way, and he's just maturing as a, a ball player. And at no point do I think that that's ever hurt him in the field, which is another thing that you look for when a guy is scuffling a little bit at the plate. And I'm not saying Bo is scuffling. He's hitting almost 270. But uh, sometimes it comes into your defense, and that's not happened with Bo. And lastly, let me ask you about Kevin Biggio. How surprised have you been by how he's played this year? Uh I guess I, I set the bar fairly high. <laughs> I didn't expect 21 <laughs> home runs at, the, at this point, but I knew that he was a really good ball player. And for, for Kevin to go through that long stretch without Vladimir Guerrero in the lineup, I knew it was going to hurt him a little bit. And uh, now that, that Vlad is back, uh, I think he can get back around to, to being where he's at. He did hit a home run the other day. So, uh Terrific season. He is on track to break Eric Thames' club records for home runs and RBIs in a season, so we'll see whether or not that, that can play out. And the hottest Fisher cat of all has been Harold Ramirez, who has had a, he had a terrific June. His July has been even better and had a three-double game here last night and is just swinging the bat extremely well. It was something that in discussing with Tyler Murray last week about highest ceiling, highest floor – he said, Ramirez, right now, that floor is getting raised and raised. And something that's fascinating to me, it's very easy, especially as the prospect lists get re-ranked, to forget about the guys who are now off those lists. Or maybe someone new has caught your eye and you might forget. What are you seeing from Harold Ramirez that could establish him as somebody who could impact the Jays at the major league level? Well, sure. He's healthy, First of all, really for the first time since we got him in the uh, in the deal in 2016, and this is the ball player that Toronto had traded for a couple of years ago. He plays the outfield well. He has a nice, solid arm. He's got more speed than you would ever expect taking a look at his body because he's a pretty big boy at about uh, 220 pounds, and he's got gap power. Uh, he's not hit a ton of home runs this year but has made uh, the transition to, to the Eastern League pitching, and guys are trying to get him out with off-speed pitches, and he's, he's still hitting those. So certainly uh, a lot to be excited about there. Bob Lipman on the road with the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats in Hartford. Bob, good to hear from you. Thank you very much. 
Oh, no problem. I'll be back with you whenever you need me, Jesse. And I know we keep you in good hands with, uh, with the Tylers. I uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. Get out and see a ball game. Sounds great. And from Bob and AA, let's go to A Advanced Dunedin. Let me bring in Jim Tarabokia. Jim, how are you this week? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Going well. Let's begin with Kevin Smith. So, yes, the rankings were re- re- uh, re-ranked. MLB pipeline, et cetera. Everyone's getting their prospect list in a row right now based upon midseason observations. And there's Smith added and zooming all the way up into the top 10 at a high-ranking prospect. And I saw what I saw from him in Lansing, but he had to adjust to the advanced level. From what you've seen from him, do you consider him to be one of the best prospects in the Blue Jays organization? Well, you know, that's a, a, a pretty uh, open-ended uh, term, I think, to be best prospects in the Blue Jays organization. I think, um, you know, it's kind of like I always say, comparing Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. um, is sort of pointless because they're different players. You're comparing, um, you know, Vladimir to to Kevin Biggio and um, so on and so forth. They're different players. So, you know, that's kind of an open-ended type thing. But, you know, uh, for him to um, get on the, uh, the list, um, certainly said something, and I think um, in terms of him being one of the best prospects in the Blue Jays organization, I certainly believe that he's one of the best. He's turned himself into the one of, one of the best hitting prospects in the organization, and really one of the most versatile prospects in the Blue Jays organization. He's played um, now three different positions: short, second, uh, and third base, and he has, uh, for the most part, succeeded at all of them. And he just continues to hit. So, um, you know, I think the, the better way to, to put it with Kevin Smith and really all these guys. You know, outside of maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or um, you know a top pitcher, whoever you want to put in that spot, who really you know shines above the rest and is on the the cusp of being in the big leagues, um, I, I think you kind of split it up into pitching prospects and and um, position uh, prospects, and I think Kevin's right up there with some of the best that uh, the Blue Jays have right now in the organization. A question that I was sent in to ask each broadcaster, and I neglected to ask this to Bob, but I'll pick it up with you. I was asked about the team defense of every team within the system. And I remember hearing from you that the team defense in the second half has been better than in the first half. What do you think about the defense overall as of late? Well, yeah, well, with, with Danin, I mean, you know, talking with Casey Candell, our manager, um, he, that's all he talks about a lot of times when the team's going well is defense, defense, defense. Um, and, and this is a defense uh, for us that last night, let me see here really quick, we made one error last night, but we've only made 12 here in the month of July. That's the um, fewest in the league. So, you know, and there's no, you know, again, we've got 31 wins since uh, June 1st, which is up there with uh, um, some of the most in the league. So, you know, I think going back to some old school stuff there, playing good defense, doing the little things has really helped us um, in propelling us to victories and and certainly has been much improved from where we were in both April and May, um, committing 55 errors combined in those first two months of the year where, you know, quite frankly, those months were were pretty miserable because the team was not doing very well at all and they just weren't playing well at all. But now things have gotten a lot better and it all really translates to the good defense. Jim Tarabokia with the A-Advanced Dunedin Blue Jays checking in. Jim, thank you very much for your insights and observations. And from Jim, let's go down to the single-A level. Let me bring in Dante DiCaria of the Lansing Lugnuts. As we talk about the single-A Lugnuts, the Jays' Midwest League affiliate, uh, the Lugnuts right now, and this is the fun thing about them, uh, the starting pitching rotation 
has just come out firing. And this all started on Monday. Seven scoreless innings from Jordan Barrett. And then on Wednesday, what was it? It was Maximo Castillo coming through. Castillo, all he did was six scoreless innings. And then yesterday, once again, another great performance. Seven scoreless innings from Graham Spraker. Spraker and the the Lugnuts uh, pitching staff now, 21 consecutive scoreless innings. And it's been just a pleasure to watch uh, to see how this Lugnuts team is doing it. And right now, the big key has been, especially with Jeff Ware here as the roving pitching coordinator, being able to watch these guys and watch them excel. They have been. Spraker came off the disabled list, and that slider has been sharp. The fastball has been sharp as well. Uh, so from those starters, from Maximo Castillo, who still has things that he's working on, however, you know what? He's getting there. He's very young. And on the other side, we look around, and we see some other players stepping up whether that might be out of the bullpen, whether we might see a Kyle Weatherly step in from the bullpen and move to the starting rotation. But Spraker has been a guy that I've long been told, watch out for him. A 31st round draft pick was taken, signed for $1,000 out of Quincy University. And he was on our DL. He's come back and first six innings, one hit scoreless ball. The only hit that he had allowed came with two outs in the bottom half of the sixth inning. That uh, stood out to us. That six innings, that set a new career high for him. So how did he follow that up? Well, all he did the next time out was go six innings again. Now, he did get hit around a little. He allowed four, uh, four runs. But then that was why it was so big to watch him yesterday, taking on the South Bend Cubs squad. And those seven scoreless innings, those meant something. Spraker was in control. The slider looked good. And they were having a hard time touching him. So... We'll see what, how things go from here on out with Graham Spraker and how things go with this Lugnuts rotation. Uh, this is a Lugnuts rotation that right now has needed to carry the team because the team's offense has been, uh, let's say, pulled down a bit. When Brock Lundquist went up to the A-advanced Dunedin level, uh, Lundquist providing power now for the DJs, but right now the Lugnuts, all they have power-wise is Ryan Noda. And so looking around to see who else can supply the power. Chavez Young is currently tied for first in the Midwest League in doubles. Ryan Gold has gotten his doubles offense going as well. But the last two games that the Lugnuts have won, they scored two runs on Monday. Those two runs helped them win 2 nothing behind Jordan Barrett. They scored two runs yesterday, Norberto Obeso a two-run single. And that helped the Lansing Lugnuts win 2-1. to one. So these are the games that the Lugnuts have won. The nine-game losing streak is over, but it's mainly because of the pitching. The offense trying to manage, and that's why it's going to be very fun to see how Chad Spanberger coming in, how he's going to help out and add another big bat into this Lugnuts offense, into a Lugnuts attack that at the start of the year was leading the league in virtually every offensive category, and now they've been surpassed. They are now second in the league in runs scored. They now rank first in the league in walks and an on-base percentage, but that's about it. Now let me welcome in Dante DeCaria, and let's talk about this Lugnut squad. Dante, first, let's go back into the starting pitching. I detailed the numbers. What have you seen, and first with Jordan Barrett? Well, his last outing was absolutely unbelievable. He threw um, seven scoreless innings against the uh, Cedar Rapids Colonels, and he helped the Lansing Lugnuts after a nine-game losing streak. And the one thing that stood out to me in Barrett's last outing is the fact that his slider looked nasty. And pitching coach Tony Costner said that it was one of the best sliders that he had seen from a Lansing Lugnuts pitcher all season. And he actually didn't even know that it was that good until he picked, he picked up the video and watched it uh, from behind uh, Jordan Barrett. It was absolutely nasty. Both him and I looked at the video and we saw that 
man, if he would have threw that slider more with an 0-2 count, and if he would have thrown it more to a right-handed batter and away from a lefty, um, he would have had more than four strikeouts, maybe even seven over seven innings. That's how good that pitch is. And right now, it's just watching him throw a bullpen, and um, he's been working on that changeup in towards left-handed uh, pitchers. Let's talk about Graham Spreaker now. These two out of his last three starts, gems, two of the best starts we've seen from a Lugnuts pitcher the whole year. What have, you, uh, what have you observed? I think the biggest thing, at least in his last outing before last night, was the fact that uh, he had really good fastball command. Um, that's the biggest thing. It's the fastball command right now with Graham Spraker. Other than that, um, I personally think that um, he has got his slider back. Yesterday, his slider looked pretty good. Over his last three outings coming off the disabled list, he didn't have the slider because as of right now, um, that's kind of what caused a little bit of his injury. So he didn't want to necessarily throw that slider too much. On the hitting side, okay, the Lugnuts have not seen that much offense recently, but two bats have notably perked up. And let me ask you about them. Ryan Gold and Norberto Obeso. Well, earlier this week, uh, roving pitching or catching coordinator Ken Huckabee came down to Lansing and he told both of us that Ryan Gold is almost like a mini Danny Jansen and could potentially be a Danny Jansen in maybe two or three years as a top prospect in the Blue Jays organization. So Ryan Gold, um, he's just got pure power. We knew that he had a bat, and his defense has improved. The only thing is that he hasn't been able to limit the running game lately, um, but that's going to improve because the Lugnets need a bat, and he's a great hitter, one of probably the best hitting catchers in the Blue Jays organization so far. And... um, I thought that he has done a tremendous job at the top of the uh, Lansing Lugnuts order. As for Ryan Noda, Noberto Beso, and the rest of the Lansing Lugnuts team, um, I think that right now they're just scrapping away and trying to find a way um, to get on base and to drive in some runs because there isn't a lot of run producers on this Lansing Lugnuts team. So once they get some run producers like a Chad Spanberger, who actually just saw a uh, walk out of the clubhouse and down to the cages just now, then they should be just fine. Dante, really appreciate your insight. Thank you very much for joining the show. We'll see how things change with Spanberger. For the moment, though, this Lugnuts team has stabilized matters. Absolutely, and I have one more thing to add. I was down in the left field bullpen, and pitching coach Tony Castres told me the best player that he has ever seen in the Blue Jays minor league system was Jay Gibbons back in 1998 in the Pioneer League. And I know, Jesse, you know Jay when you, when you were covering the Orioles back in the day as an intern. Um, very surprised to hear that. Um, I looked at his numbers, and in 1998, he had 400 with 100 RBIs in short season A-ball, and I believe his OPS was um, 1,400 or something like that. Anyways, I thought I'd add that. Thanks. Dante, thank you very much. This is around the nest. Jay talking away. Jay, literally Jay talking away. Jay Gibbons talking away around the Blue Jays minor league organization, but no longer around the nest. Now, around the chest as I bring in the man, the myth, the nation. Rob Fay, how are you? Let's talk some Vancouver Canadians. Well, why don't we? The Vancouver Canadians just flipped the page, and they're ready for the second half of the Northwest League season. Off to a bit of a tough start, though. They're one and two. They've been walked off twice in the past 24 hours. So now we're back home in the comfy confines in Appley Stadium and hoping for better fortune. There's a player that the members of the Canadians who are now with the Lansing Lugnuts have been raving about, and that's McGregory Contreras. I saw he showed up big time yesterday with the power. What did you see? You know, he's one of those guys, and I don't want to make the comparison because there's really no comparable there, but you remember how people used to describe Vladimir Guerrero and how his plate coverage was surreal, the fact that the 
ball could bounce before it even got to the plate and Vladdy might still take a swing at it. But Gregory Contreras is very similar. He sees stuff outside, inside, up, down, and he takes hacks at everything. And, you know, the problem with McGregory is it's still real raw. And I think they're a couple of years away from really understanding what they truly have with him. But the raw, broad strokes of what he is, as far as his offense goes, he is a plus player. There's a little bit of speed there. Uh, there's, there's decent pitch identification. But I think where you see the excitement in the Blue Jays organization with players that have been around him is just the raw ability, the ability to hit the ball the other way for power, the, to be able to hit that inside pitch and still pull it down the third base line. There's a lot there. The defense is suspect, um, but the bat is definitely something that will raise some eyebrows over the next year or two. Who else has been raising your eyebrows recently? Tanner Kerwer. He's a guy that just won't go away. I keep waiting for him to sit down and, and come back into, you know, regular tones because the reality is, is he's vibrant. He's bright colors. He hustles down the line when it's a routine ground ball to shortstop. He stretches singles into doubles. He is a perfect guy for a stretch run because he's an excitement guy, an energy guy. He does a lot of things in the outfield well. But more than anything, he's got 15 stolen bases this year. Uh, he's only been caught twice. And more than anything, he's just one of those catalysts that you can tuck at the top of the order or the bottom of the order. And he's one of the few guys that I've seen in recent years that can actually bunt for a base hit consistently and, again, play a little small ball if you want to bring that infield in. So, again, he brings a lot to the table. And if you guys get him for your playoff push, Jesse, he will be a perfect fit somewhere in your lineup. Some larger questions at hand. Let's go back to the idea of defense. How has your team defense in Vancouver looked? You know, I haven't been all that impressed with it, to be honest. If there was an Achilles heel to this team, I might say it's the defense. I mean, it's, it's, it's serviceable, but I don't think there's anybody that stands out. The only guy that to me is perhaps with the potential of becoming a plus is Griffin Conine in right field. Threw out two runners in yesterday's baseball game. Um, he's a guy that's got a very strong and accurate arm from right field. So that, to me, uh, is something that's impressive. Um, but again, the infield with Brian Lozardo at third, Sterling Guzman over at first base, uh, there's nothing that screams major league or screams advanced. And I think I was spoiled a little bit last year defensively over at first base because Casey Clemens was a plus first baseman defensively. Um, but this year, even from the catching position, it's just three serviceable catchers. So hopefully somebody steps up. But for now, it's, it's mediocrity across the board without the except, or with the exception of maybe Griffin Conine. I asked Jeff Ware about the 2018 draft class, of which you're seeing quite a few members. And he told me, Jesse, above all else, once again, just like last year, a lot of great makeup guys. Who has stood out to you as being a high makeup guy? There's a few. That's actually a great way to look at it, Jesse. And they are good makeup guys. Sean Weimer, uh, fourth rounder out of Texas Christian. You can tell he played at a big school just the way he, he commands presence. There are certain guys when they come onto the mound. I think of Jose Espada of 2017, timid, not uh, aggressive, always worked away from hitters because he didn't want to get hurt inside. Sean Weimer commands that respect. He's not afraid to pitch you inside. Uh, knows exactly what he's doing before he even takes to the mound. Joey Murray, a right-hander out of Kent State University. Again, very consistent. A lot of ground balls from him as well. And again, good composure. So those are two guys for me that stand out. Kobe Johnson, honorable mention, obviously with his dad being Dane Johnson. You can tell he's got a little pedigree and been around baseball his whole life. You don't look at that guy taken in the 30th round and scream, wow, prospect. Usually guys in the 30th aren't such. But he's a guy that is really starting to step into the closer role here in Vancouver and uh, is a guy that I'd probably put an honorable mention beside. Finally, Rob, 
Who has the highest ceiling and who has the highest floor among your seas? Ooh, good question. Highest the highest ceiling right now would probably be Otto Lopez. The coaching staff raves about the experience that I now call him thanks to you. Uh, but no, I, I just I like his speed. I like his glove. I think there's I think there's something there. I mean, I don't know how he fits in. If you were to put him beside somebody like Kevin Biggio, probably already unfair. But I and here's me get throwing a little bit of praise on him. I wouldn't say that Otto Lopez is less a defender than Logan Warmoth from a year ago. Logan, obviously a first-rounder. Otto Lopez, obviously not. But they have very similar abilities. And to be honest with you, you got one on pennies on the dollar by comparison. Um, a guy that I think is a make-or-break guy this year is the aforementioned, Jose Espada. He's a kid that's young enough that could still make a jump, a right-hander that's got a mid-90s fastball. He's starting to pitch as opposed to just throw as hard as he can. But again, for me, it's make or break with him this season. So I don't know if there's a ceiling there or a floor to be had. But again, if you were to ask me one guy that I say, you know what, keep your eye on him, it's probably Otto Lopez. Rob, at Rob Fay Nation on Twitter, the voice of the Vancouver Canadians into their second half of the year. Thank you, sir, for your insights. It's my pleasure, Jesse. Take care. All right, let's go down. Uh, let's talk down the ladder with the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays now, Zach Helton. How are you? I'm great until Rob brought up Otto Lopez. I feel like uh, uh, a guy missing his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Otto had such a great time at Bluefield. It's uh, good to see him move up, but uh, we, we miss him in Bluefield. But we've got a great squad, and, and we've had a great year uh, with him and without him. Let's talk about your team defense. What have you seen? We've got at least three tremendous outfielders, Abadesa, Neil, Daniels, all cover ground, and Cal Stevenson when he's in as well. Uh, those guys get an absolutely beautiful jump on the ball. Uh, you think, oh, this one's going in the gap. This one's going to fall somewhere. They're coming in charging. Uh, they know exactly their first step. I, I'm not sure who's teaching the outfield at Bluefield, but uh, they're doing a great job at teaching first step and great reads off the bat. Um, I, I, I could probably count on less than one hand the outfield errors we've made and count on all ten t fingers and ten toes the tremendous plays they've made this year. Cal Stevenson the other night, uh, running, jumping, grab into the wall, hard wall. It's uh, There's – a little pad and a concrete wall at Bowen Field. He hit it hard, hit the ground. They went out and checked on him. I think it just knocked the breath out of him. Came up, let off the bottom half of the inning, and got a triple. And that's just been the attitude all around uh, defensively and offensively for Bluefield. And uh, in the infield, Lantigua and De Los Santos, uh, a, a, a great middle infield combination to watch. They turn any double play with ease. And uh, it's been fun to watch this team. I think, uh, you know, Rob was talking about the defense is serviceable. I think uh, Bluefield's defense is, you know, uh, well more than that. I, I think uh, when, when these guys move up, they're going to be uh, happy with the defense that they've got here in Bluefield. That's beautiful. From this past week's worth of action, what has stood out the most to you? Well, it's kind of the, the uh, dog days of summer here in the Appy League. It's about the middle part of the year. Uh, four and three in the last seven days. Dropped a couple to Bristol, who's, you know, middle of the pack at best in the other division in the Appy League. Big series starting tonight. 
uh, with Princeton at Princeton. Uh, here in Bluefield and Princeton, we've got the Mercer Cup, which is always bragging rights in Mercer County between the Jays and the Rays. This time it's a little more serious. The, the, the Rays have actually got us a couple more times. They lead four to two coming into tonight. But going into tonight, both teams tied in first atop the Happy League East. So this three-game set is not only big just for county bragging rights, but it's it's going to be uh, big for the rest of the year, I think, going down the stretch. Who's going to host maybe in the playoffs or who may fall off and even miss the playoffs? Because uh, the Happy League only takes the top two teams in each division. So it's going to be a race to the finish. And tonight's three-game set beginning uh, is, is going to be a big one. Follow along. Go to BluefieldJays.com. Z underscore Helton on Twitter. Zach Helton, the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays out of the Appalachian League. Thank you very much for calling in. Jesse, it's always great to have you. Thank you. All right. Check in with you next week. Now, you might have noted, hey, what's going on at the AAA level? Well, Pat Malacaro recorded this spot to let us know everything that was going on with AAA Buffalo. But while Pat was away, he asked Dave Wilson to fill in for him. They did a call-up from the Eastern League, and it's to one of the great professionals. Dave, how are you? Thank you for joining in on Around the Nest. Pleasure to be here, Jesse. Thanks for having me. So here's all I want to ask you. You watched four games in pinch hitting for Pat. You observed, you called those four games of the Herds baseball. What did you see? What, what did you observe in Buffalo's play? Well, first of all, I think it's just great that I get on around the nest after four games. I think that's got to be some kind of a record. <laughs> I mean, that's, hey. that's pretty impressive, I think. That's the main thing to talk about, Jesse. <laughs> okay. So now that that's out of the way, how do you enjoy yourself watching Buffalo? Well, you know what? I, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting ball club. I think uh, the thing that really stands out to me, Jesse, is the field they have here. They have four true center fielders here, and Anthony Alford, Dalton Pompey, Roman Fields, uh, just a, a tremendous uh, group of uh, players. Now they've added Jonathan Davis to the mix. So you've got a, a, a group of guys who can really run down fly balls in the gaps and, uh, you know, obviously playing in some big fields here in the IL. I think it's certainly a fun team to watch from that aspect. And then, you know, you, you mix in some guys like Rowdy Telez, uh, and, and he's starting to swing the bat well on this road trip. Uh, pretty interesting ball club. And then uh, I, from the from the pitching side, I think Sean Reed Foley is the guy who a lot of people are talking about in the organization. He was the IL Pitcher of the Week uh, after winning a couple of games last week uh, at home. So uh, I think those are the things that stand out. Those are probably the top three things. There have been a number of questions about a couple of the Bisons, and let's take one in specific. Anthony Alford, how is he adjusting? How are things going? Well, you got to see a great multi-hit performance from Anthony, so what did you think of his performance against Louisville? I thought it was very impressive because uh, you know, the bats uh, in that series, uh, they ran out a number of, of relievers who were uh, throwing 97, 98 triple digits a couple of times. And in one of the doubleheader games, they used strictly relievers. So it was a tough series for the Bisons. They couldn't really get comfortable against any one pitcher because uh, they did see a lot of bullpen uh, guys coming out to face them. Uh, Alford had a three-hit game, as you mentioned, a home run, his fifth of the year. And really, all five of his home runs, Jesse, have come uh, roughly in the last month since late June. So that aspect of his game is coming around, and he told me it was more of a byproduct of 
just putting good swings on the ball and, and making good contact rather than trying to, you know, change his swing or trying to get a better launch angle or hit, uh, hit more fly balls. But, uh, you know, I thought it was very good performance. He also had an outfield assist in that game, throwing out a runner at the plate. So I think the adjustment is coming for him, and it's a tough one to continue to try to keep going at the pace that he has put up in the lower minor leagues. He's facing better pitchers, better competition, but uh, he certainly still shows flashes of all those tools that everyone is excited about. That three-hit game, that came interestingly to me against Justin Nicolino, the former Blue Jay farmhand. In that same game, Rowdy Telez stole second base against Nicolino and the catcher Chadwick Trump. How did Rowdy take second? You know, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting break. He he really bluffed off first. It it wasn't, you know, what I would call any kind of a, a delayed steal, but uh as I recall, Nicolino just held the set for a long time. Rowdy was kind of bouncing around, ended up getting uh, probably a third of the way to second base. Uh, and then Nicolino went ahead and came to the plate, and, it, and then Rowdy just went on into second base. So one of those situations where I don't know if pitcher just wasn't glancing over there or, or what the situation was, but he got a tremendous secondary lead off first base. The voice of the Akron Rubber Ducks, the voice of the Kent State Golden Flashes, and just a good friend, one of the great guys in broadcasting and in the entire sports world, Dave Wilson. Thank you very much for calling into Around the Nest. Great to be with you, Jesse. I really appreciate you having me on. Great to be part of the Blue Jays organization, if it's only for a week. And from Dave and AAA, that finishes things, right? Well, not quite, because Pat Malacaro did send me a recording from all that went on over the course of time with Buffalo. And so let me let you know what Pat thinks about how the herd has been recently. Hi, Jesse. The Bisons are in their toughest stretch of the season right now, halfway through a road trip, which we'll see Nine games played over a six-day stretch. Buffalo just finished up in Louisville, Kentucky, where they played four games against the Bats. It was a tough start to the road trip for the Bisons. Not only were they swept in the doubleheader on Tuesday evening, but Buffalo had an off day on Monday, a league-scheduled off day. And then on Tuesday, they had to fly out from Buffalo at 5.50 in the morning, a connecting flight and getting into Louisville around noontime. And then a 5 o'clock start for the doubleheader at Louisville Slugger Field, a prearranged flight and not really being able to change it, the Bisons really had to just get a little bit of rest at the hotel and then take on the bats. The Bisons did uh, have early leads in the doubleheader. However, they could not hold them. Buffalo lost the first three games of the four-game series last night. Thanks to Jonathan Davis, a couple of RBIs. He helped the Bisons secure the 4-3 win over the bats, helping Buffalo to get back within 500. They're five games below heading into action tonight. 46-51 and 51 on the season. Mentioned Jonathan Davis with a couple of RBIs. Rowdy Telez leading the team in hits. He had two more yesterday for his 20th multi-hit game of the season. That helped Buffalo in their nine-hit effort yesterday. Telez with a pair. Darnell Sweeney with two as well. And the Bisons find themselves really looking up in the north. Buffalo will play Lehigh Valley coming up when they return home next week for a five-game stretch in four days as there's a lot of doubleheaders to be made up. If you remember back to the start of the season, Jesse, the Bisons were postponed at home five straight days. Two games were straight out canceled and were not made up as part of the series against Louisville. Unfortunately for the Bisons, it was Indianapolis followed by Louisville for the first homestand of the season, and coincidentally, 
Buffalo travels to Louisville and Indianapolis on the same road trip that's happening right now. And as you're aware, and some of the listeners may be aware of as well, you can only play seven games or three, three double headers in a seven-day stretch. So the Bisons, because of that, because they were playing Louisville and Indianapolis for six straight days, could only make up three of the five postponements. So two games were canceled right off the bat for the Bisons at home this year, and they've made up one of the three doubleheaders that were on tap from those five postponements, and two more coming up. One of them is tonight at Victory Field. The Bisons and the Indianapolis Indians begin a five-game three-day series at Victory Field. Sean Reed Foley makes the start for Buffalo in game number one, starting at 6.05. Reed Foley leading the team in many of the pitching categories among the qualifiers. He'll be making his 13th start of the season for the Herd since being called up from AA New Hampshire. He's 7-2, and two, his seven wins the most by a Bison pitcher this season. He also has 78 strikeouts for the Bisons. That's the most of anybody currently on the roster as well. And of Reed Foley's 12 starts, eight of them, eight of his 12 starts, three quarters of his starts have been quality starts for the Bisons. He really has been Buffalo's stopper at seven and two. When Buffalo's coming on a couple of uh, losing streaks, Reed Foley has come up in the rotation and he has stopped that for the Bisons. And he's, he'll look to help Buffalo pick up their second straight win after leaving Louisville last night with a win. Then it'll be Reed Foley starting against Tyler Epler in game number one for the Bisons and Indianapolis. Game two, Murphy Smith will make the start. He notched a win for the Bisons in relief, his first win of the season on the most recent homestand. And because the Bisons and Indians are making up a game played here that should have been played at Coca-Cola Field, the Bisons will be the home team in game number two. That'll be the case on Sunday as well. The Bisons play two tonight in Indianapolis, a solo game on Saturday, and then a doubleheader on Sunday. Time to catch your breath for a moment. Then Buffalo return home on Monday evening as they'll host Lehigh Valley. The Iron Pigs are the top team in all of the International League. Entering Friday's play, they're 62-40. and 40. They're eight games in front of scranton Wilkesbury. Buffalo sits in third place at 13 and a half games out. So really we'll, we'll start talking about the elimination number or tragic number, if you will, very soon, as these are big ball games coming up at Coca-Cola Field. The last time Lehigh Valley was in Buffalo, the final game of the series was postponed as it was a Sunday afternoon game postponed due to inclement weather. So the Bisons and Lehigh Valley will play a doubleheader on Wednesday. And again, because of those three doubleheaders in seven-day window, the Bisons and Lehigh Valley cannot play it on the opening day of the series. They have to wait till day three to play the doubleheader. So the Bisons have solo games Monday, Tuesday, a doubleheader Wednesday, and then close out Thursday afternoon with Lehigh Valley. So a busy stretch of baseball for the Bisons, really a grueling test. Add into the mix that the Blue Jays have been making trade moves and acquisitions over the last couple of days and sending a couple of pitchers out. Who knows what that means for the Bisons pitching staff as well. So a very tenuous time and tough time to be a part of this Bison roster. But I guess that's what um, we all knew going into it, that the Bisons uh, not only would have a tough stretch coming up, but the Blue Jays not having uh, a season in which they're contending for either the AL East or the wild card, that they are selling off a couple of pieces in terms of J-Hap and Sengwang Oh. So some arms will have to be replaced, and we'll see if the Bisons are part of that mix as well. In the wild card standings, the Bisons currently sit in fifth place. They're seven games back of Norfolk, a team that Buffalo played here in downtown Buffalo 
just last week. The Bisons had a chance really to take uh, a stranglehold of the series and unfortunately let Norfolk back into a couple of ball games and help the Tides uh, pick up a win against the Bisons on the homestand. So the Bisons uh, had a big game in terms of the wild card standings they could have picked up against Norfolk. But the Tides have been playing some really good baseball, winners of nine of their last ten. The Bisons, by contrast, in their last ten games, just four and six. So a busy week here coming up, not only on the road for the Bisons, but coming up at home at Coca-Cola Field. Look forward to checking in with you again next week on Around the Nest, Jesse. Big thanks to Pat Malacaro for checking in with his report, as well as to Dave Wilson for filling in for him from Akron, as well to Doug Maurer from the Asheville Taurus, Jeff Dooley from the Hartford Yard Goats, Adam Marco from the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, Bob Lipman in New Hampshire, Jim Tarabokia in Dunedin, Dante DeCaria in Lansing, Rob Say in Vancouver, and Zach Halton with Bluefield. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler at Around Nest on Twitter. Thanks to the minor leaguer. Enjoy the baseball.